Welcome to the Spectrum of Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today I'm speaking with Andrea Nakayama. Andrea is a friend and colleague, and she's become a big deal in the world of functional medicine as a nutritionist who can help chronically ill people get better when no one else can. Her clinical skills have won her the attention of many world-renowned doctors who consult with her on their own difficult cases. More than that, Andrea trains a thousand practitioners every year in how to have the clinical successes she's had. She's training an army of change makers in the field of healthcare. Those triumphs came out of Andrea's own tragedy when her young husband was diagnosed with a fatal brain tumor while she was pregnant with her only child. So today, Andrea and I speak a lot about functional nutrition, and I really hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome, Andrea. I'm so excited to interview you today. I'm thrilled to be here with you. I know that we've known each other now for um, a few years, and I've always admired your work, not only as a naturopathic physician, but also seeing how your work has um, had a really positive effect on my patients. And I think it's just going to be really wonderful to reintroduce you to my community. um, And really, we're going to talk a lot about functional medicine and functional medicine nutrition today. So we'll, we'll just dive in. Does that sound good? That sounds awesome, and I'm just such a fan of your work, Dr. Schaffner, and the people and the population that you touch, so I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, why don't we just start? I know that you have created um, quite a wonderful career for yourself, and you've made a huge impact on our community, but how did you really become so passionate about functional medicine and functional medicine nutrition? Mm, yeah. I, you know, my I think we We all come to this work because of a personal story or a personal health crisis, whether we're in the healing professions or we are really dedicated to health and passionate about health. And for me, that really began when my husband, Isamu, was diagnosed with a brain tumor, a glioblastoma multiforme, back in April of 2000 when I was just seven weeks pregnant. So this was a diagnosis, a very grave diagnosis that came out of nowhere. So it wasn't like there were symptoms leading up to it. He was a fine, healthy young man one day and had a diagnosis and a a prognosis of six months to live the next day, maybe a, a few days of being sick, but they thought it was a sinus infection. This experience really woke me up to so many of the challenges that we have in healthcare and in medicine. And when I say that, I don't mean to put down what we can do in medicine. I'm a big proponent of what I call the yes and approach. So of course, Isamu needed surgeries. He had two craniotomies. He needed radiation therapy. He needed chemotherapy, several different kinds. But he also needed to do a whole lot behind the scenes. And to the point that really woke me up, he needed to be treated like an individual. And instead, I saw him treated like a walking dead man. And that was really painful for me to watch. So here I was, newly pregnant, newly diagnosis, newly, you know, diagnosed issue that we're working with, a very grave prognosis. They didn't expect him to live to see our son born. And navigating this terrain that I thought, why is there nobody here to help us? What's going on? Why is somebody being treated like a diagnosis and not like the human being they are? And so that really ignited my passions 
on many levels for the work that I do now. And I should say Isamu lived two and a half years. He died in 2002. Um, he did live to see our son born and had a year and a half to make a good imprint on his life. Mm. Well, no, I, I know I've heard that story before. And every time, you know, I hear it, I'm just so touched by what you've gone through and how you really transformed that experience and to look at all the great work that you've done because of it. So thank you for sharing that with us, Andrea. And, you know, now, yeah. now, I mean, you've dedicated um, your life, right, to, you know, yes. functional medicine and, you know, functional nutrition. And I know that this is, um, you know, which, uh, with a credit to the um, Institute of Functional Medicine, I think a lot, there's so much more awareness, right, over yes. the last even five years about this word and this term, and there's a lot of buzz around functional medicine. Um, can you just really clarify for us, what does this really mean? And how does functional nutrition really differ from a lot of the uh, trends out in our community right now? Yeah, I think it's really important to look at what functional medicine is. And I am fully in service to the functional medicine model. I think it solves a lot of the problems I just identified. It's really designed to look at the entire person in a number of ways. So the three tenets of functional medicine that I always like to highlight is that the patient and the practitioner are in a therapeutic partnership. And I always like to say that when we hear that, we celebrate the doctor, but as we'll talk about when we switch to nutrition, I'm really in favor of applauding the patient who is able to be in partnership with their doctor. So tenant number one in functional medicine, the patient and the practitioner in a therapeutic partnership. Tenant number two is that we're looking for the root cause, and this is a challenge that that I like to bring up that I think we're stuck in looking for a root cause. So I like to shift that and say we're looking for the root causes so we don't get in the trap that there is one root cause, which I think is a trap many patients are in. And tenant number three is that we work in systems. And this has to do with the biological systems, which, you know, you worked with so much in seeing people who are suffering with chronic ailments and co-infections where we understand how the body is all connected, that we can't look at hormone problems without looking at gut problems or detoxification issues or environmental issues, that everything is a system. And we take a systems approach both to our care and how we practice. So putting systems into place so we can see everybody as an individual, but still have a systems-based approach that allows us to know how we're going in. Where do I need to look? So those three tenants are critical in the functional medicine model. Again, therapeutic partnership, root cause resolution, and that we work with with systems, understanding the biological systems. When we're looking at a functional nutrition approach, we're taking those same tenants, but we're applying them to the modifiable diet and lifestyle factors. So we're looking at where are all the ways in which we actually shift the terrain in which the disease exists by looking at the things that we do every single day with how we feed and fuel and reset our entire body systems. So that's really the overview that I like to paint about what functional medicine is and how functional nutrition works in tandem with functional medicine. I like to say that we fill a gap 
in the functional medicine model. And it's really a gap that is in the entire medical model. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I, I just want to land and I completely agree with applauding the, you know, the patient that encounter or um, seeks out this type of therapeutic relationship, because at the end of the day, you know, our patients have to do so much work, you know, it's, it's very hard. Um, and it takes a lot of intention and work to become you know, well after, you know, dealing with complex chronic illness and what we both see day in and day out. So I I just really appreciate you saying that. Um, So let's talk a little bit more about this gap that you mentioned. So there's obviously this gap between medical interventions. So when people are implementing a really a medical protocol, whether that be um, a pharmaceutical, a supplement protocol, even um, how talk about this gap between this type of intervention and then diet and lifestyle modification. Yeah, I mean, there's a few I like to think in threes. So I'm a <laughs> systems thinker that likes to think in threes. And if we think of like a pyramid, and we think about the functional medicine doc or the physician at the top of that pyramid, like at the point that's at the tip of that pyramid, they may be able to see everything that needs to happen. They may recognize that diet and lifestyle modification needs to happen. However, the patient is at the base of that pyramid. They're in the weeds and they are really trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. And they're in that every day. And I'm sure that many of us can relate when we're trying to navigate, especially as a new mama, you might think like, what gave her gas this day? Did this happen, right? So when all the time we're in this process of trying to figure out what's going on, and there is a place in the gap between that tip of the pyramid and the base where a functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner comes in, where diet and lifestyle modification with guidance has a clinical vantage point. It's actually filling that gap between what the doctor is stating and what the person needs to do every day. It's sort of like um, there's a number of gaps, but it's sort of like there's a gap between when you visit your doctor. You may see them once a month, once every three months, once a week, depending on what you're going through. But what happens in between those visits is where diet and lifestyle modification comes in And where a practitioner who can see that clinically comes in with an even deeper perspective about what those modifications can be to yield the results that you're after. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so um, tell us then, you know, we all as clinicians, right, we all have our different tools and systems to really hone in on what are the source of people's health challenges. And so how, like, what's your approach and how do you um, suggest we we really um, identify and evaluate where uh, patients are having their challenge so we can really help them, right? Yeah, and and I'm happy to dive into any of these a little bit deeper. What I think of as our protocol, like people want to know, what is our protocol for Hashimoto's or lupus or, you know, a patient going through chemotherapy or a specific co-infection or candida or EBV, right? What's our protocol? And I always say that our protocol is what I call the art of the practice. Mm -hmm. The art stands for assess, recommend, and track. 
So, so our tools include things that allow us to fully assess and fully attract to track things that actually add to that assessment. So we have a number of assessment tools, including a very detailed timeline. We do motivational interviewing as part of our initial process. And this is when I say we, both at my own clinic at the Functional Nutrition Alliance, and this is the system that I teach all the practitioners that go through the functional nutrition lab training. So we spend a lot more time in the assessment, not necessarily more time than you, Dr. Tapner. <laughs> I know you do a tremendous, you have to do a tremendous amount of assessment, but not many clinicians do spend that much time in assessment where we're actually not just taking the patient's word for it based on their intake, but we're going a next level into what is motivational interviewing, like I said, to draw out a patient's timeline. There's a lot of information that's missing in what a patient might re relay about themselves. They don't know if it's pertinent. They may have forgotten. They don't think that they've had surgery if they've had their gallbladder removed, right? Like, like it's so many little things that when we take that time to assess and have the proper assessment tools and we have a clinical understanding of the case that we can see that help with our recommendations that we make and then we have to track. So when we're looking at diet and lifestyle modification, I always like to say diet and lifestyle modification aren't a handout, at least not for people <laughs> who are sick and not getting better. It may be for the 80% of the population that is just looking to feel a little better or lose a little weight and doesn't have a lot of underlying dysfunction. I don't even know who that is anymore based on the bubble I live in. Me too. <laughs> but most of us need more, we need a slowed down process. We need to make a change and see how that impacts us. We need to bring in supplements or nutrients slowly and see what works and what doesn't. What does that working or not working mean? Does it mean it's wrong? Does it mean the dosing is wrong? Does it mean the type is wrong? Is there an issue with the form or the filler? This is where a, a depth of clinical understanding comes into how we make diet and lifestyle modification and what we're doing. We see clients coming into us who have been doing therapeutic diets for way too long, or they come in eating such a limited diet because they're so reactive, but people don't understand how these therapeutic diets that are meant to be done for a short time or these limited diets are introducing nutrient deficiencies that are leading to more signs, symptoms, and possibly even further diagnoses. So it's this catch-22 that takes a lot of untangling, especially for the population that you and I touch most, Dr. Schaffner. Mm -hmm. I have so many, you know, questions from that. I, I mean, I, I think that is so, um, all of this is such valuable information. And I guess, you know, you, you have all this experience, Andrea, and I know many of the listeners are probably thinking about their diet and, you know, um, 
it's coming from two places I, I often see, you know, with my patients. Um, one is they feel like they've already exhausted diet as an intervention or, right. um, and thinking, oh, I've done that before. Right. And I, I, we don't need to focus there. And then, um, because there's so much to do sometimes that, um, doesn't get the time, attention and prioritization that it does. And then, as you said, um, it comes from this other place where they think they are doing the best for themselves. But as you just mentioned, you know, this therapeutic diet has gone on for way too long. So I guess if you could just bring this idea to life even more, what do you see as the one of the like most common pitfalls of maybe a therapeutic diet that has been um, going on for too long? What have you seen in practice over the years? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think this is a mistake that practitioners make as well as patients. And I can share some stories about a client review meeting I did with my top certified students this week and how we all fall into the trap of thinking that we have to go for the jugular, what I call the tier three work, which I'll talk about later. But we have to think about where um, where foods are actually necessary. My approach to diet is to eat the the broadest diet possible for the individual. And so we have to make sure that we're not including things in the diet that are the person is going to be reactive to, but taking things out of the diet alone without doing the internal healing that allows us to eat a more broad diet is where we make a lot of mistakes. Mm. So we think I'm eating that and I'm reactive. So I shouldn't eat that ever, but we don't do the work that helps us to digest those things. So I'm not talking about gluten or refined sugar. Like I'm not a big fan of the top allergens coming back into the diet for this population, Mm -hmm. you know, for a population who's sick and not getting better. We need to clear the muddy waters. We need to take the things out and we need to see what can be reintroduced. So when we're talking about healing diets, I see people who are eating an autoimmune paleo diet for too long. I listened to a great lecture with Dr. Schoenfeld recently. He's an Israeli autoimmune specialist, and he's talking about some of the top foods that actually support immune modulation. And when you look at what they are, they are foods that are not included in an autoimmune paleo diet, Mm. foods like chocolate and pepper. You know, these are foods that can be supportive for modulating an immune system. However, they've been removed from an autoimmune paleo diet because in that scenario, we are clearing the muddy waters for a time period to see what can be reintroduced. But patients get caught in the trap of staying there too long because they don't clear and heal. They just clear and then try to reintroduce, Mm. if even that. But also like a low FODMAP diet, we may take out all of those things without doing the internal digestive healing to see what can be introduced and figure out which foods are able to come in once there's been some of that internal organ healing. We forget to do the inside work. We just do the removal or we give up and say, I'm not getting better anyway. Why should I be deprived? I love that chocolate made that list. That that that's reassuring for me. But, but um, no, but me too. I, we knew it was good, right? But um, yeah. but um, so absolutely. And I, you know, especially when 
you know, we see these highly reactive, highly inflamed individuals, um, you know, there's obviously a, a reason, you know, we can't just stop at in removing all the foods that are a patient's reacting to as the solution. And I know you probably see a lot of um, mast cell activation patients now, and there's a, a trend, um, you know, I do think that that is more common for a lot of reasons than it has been in the 10 years that I've been practicing, I feel you know, this has been more, there's this, um, the sensitive patient is not just a minority in our patient population. They're, they're, um, more common than I have seen over the years. And so, um, I know that you and I both believe that there's a huge underlying reason and we can't just stop at food. Right. And so I think this really ties into like your system, right. Of looking at what you call the three tiers to epigenetic mastery and kind of looking at, how do we optimize our individual epigenetics and looking at what are the things that could be triggering our illness? So yeah. if you want to um, just dive into that, Andrea, I know people are um, really curious. Yeah. And if I may, before that, just get a little political here into the why. <laughs> and I know we all work with both a female and a male population and mm-hmm. that both are impacted by this. But I do want to say that there are more women who are underserved by our current medical model because it's not looking at the concerns of women, women's hormones, how it interacts with the immune system. I think when we step back, we can see how, at least when it comes to autoimmunity, Mm -hmm. but many other chronic issues, it often takes women four doctors and four years minimum to get a proper diagnosis. Mm. And they're raising, we are raising our hands when we know something is going on. And yet the amount of time it takes to get some actual label for something or some kind of uh, intervention that is helpful, that whole time only adds to the insult that was there to begin with. So I like to think of the work I do as the me too of healthcare, (laughs) because I feel like we have to start taking care of ourselves. We really need to see what happens for me in my healthcare between my doctor's visits in that gap. How am I the lead in my own healthcare team? And it's my work and my passion and mission to empower women to be that lead, to give them the education about their own body. So they're not just placing it outside of themselves with either a pill, a protocol, a practitioner, or a lab marker. People are so caught up now in, is it mercury? I'm going to find that one thing. Is Mm -hmm. it this? I'm going to find that. And it's everything. Mm -hmm. Things don't exist in isolation. And epigenetics is how we shift the expression of what's happening. And we do that with the decisions we make every single day. And oftentimes we need guidance about how those decisions can best serve us because what we think will serve us may not be the best thing for us. And that's where, again, that additional clinical vantage point is necessary to help this patient population. And I'm amongst them. I have Hashimoto's and it took me time to get diagnosed. So 
just a little interlude there. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. And I, I think you, you and I both feel really passionate about shortening the time that an individual is sick to proper diagnosis so that they can, you know, get, you know, get the tools to get better. And, um, you know, it, it's just heartbreaking. I mean, I was someone's 54th doctor once, you know, and it's just, you know, the, it's just, there's too much wasted time. And I, I'm really, really glad you presenced that because, um, you know, that's why we're, you know, why I do the podcast and why I know that you have all your educational efforts. It's because, um, when you see what we see and know what we know, it's like, you can't help, but, um, you know, share this. So yes. thank you. Yeah. 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 So back to those three tiers, this is the work that I think we really need to do and that I also really train practitioners that they need to set into. So I really believe that we're all trying to play doctor. So this is going to come to the tier three work and I'm going to back up and say tier one are what I call the non-negotiables. And it's a, it's a vast area for us to explore. So tier one are the non-negotiables. Tier two is deficiency to sufficiency. And tier three is dismantling the dysfunction. Now, before I talk about what they are, I'm going to just presence for people, <laughs> for all of us, that it's not linear. It's mm-hmm. not like you don't do tier three while you're doing tier one. But it's also not like tier one doesn't do the work of tier three. So the example I'm going to make here is when we think of roots in the ground that are leading to the expression of disease. So we think of roots in the ground and we think of the trunk of the tree and the branches and the leaves. If we see branches and leaves that are problematic, there are symptoms, we then look for those roots. But really what influences those roots? roots isn't us going in and tinkering with the root. It's us addressing the soil and diet and lifestyle modification, which are your epigenetic factors that is in the soil. So if we sit in the tier one and tier two work, we are addressing the tier three issues. Meaning if we find our non-negotiables and we address our deficiencies, we are dismantling the dysfunction. That does not mean I'm not working in partnership with you, Dr. Schaffner, and that you can't more directly address that dysfunction, but we do that simultaneous to shifting the terrain in which that dysfunction exists. Mm -hmm. No, and I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, especially around this not being linear, cause I think we still have to undo some of our conventional paradigm thinking of, um, you know, one, there's only one thing to fix and we have to do this and then we do that. And, um, you know, I always like to share with my patients, you know, if it was one thing you wouldn't be so sick, right. Or this would be easy to fix. Right. So I, I exactly. appreciate that that, um, you know, that framework here. And so do you mind diving into, you know, a few few of these so we can bring this concept to light, like what tend to be in the non-negotiable category? Yeah. So this is in the functional nutrition matrix. And if anybody wants to take a look at our version of the matrix, this is uh, an offshoot of the functional medicine matrix. And you can always find what I'm talking about here if you want to take a look at it at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash matrix. And it'll just pop up for you. 
this is how my brain is thinking into a case and how I'm training practitioners to think. Everything in the right side of the matrix, which I will list for you, is a non-negotiable, but there's more. And we have to inform those things with what we learn from the other pieces. So uh, those non-negotiables include sleep and relaxation, exercise and movement, nutrition and hydration, stress and resilience, relationships and networks, and more. However, those things are going to look very different for each individual. So to make it simple, I like to say if somebody's not sleeping, they're not pooping, and their blood sugar is out of balance, it's very hard to shift the terrain in which those roots exist. So let's just dive in for a second to sleep. And that concept I talked about with the art, the assess, the recommend, and the track. I can't just tell you to go sleep, that you need sleep. And I can't just say you've got to sleep and you've got to prioritize sleep. Mm -hmm. I need to very deeply go into what are your sleep patterns? What's your bedtime routine? When are you waking up? Are you staying awake when you wake up? Are you going to the bathroom when you wake up? How long does it take you to fall asleep? Are you going to sleep at the same time every night? What's your room environment like? All of these questions that are in the assessment help me to see more clearly what might be happening for you so that I can make the appropriate recommendations as, you know, from a clinical vantage point to help you get the sleep that your body needs to repair, regenerate, detoxify sleep. It is a non-negotiable. So these are the things that end up being non-negotiables for us. And we start to build into our kind of toolkit, our personal toolkit of knowing what helps me feel better and what makes me feel worse. And if we go over to the left side of the matrix, it's the area that we think of as the mediators. The mediators are what we know in this moment. And we can all usually bring one or two to the table. I know I can say, Dr. Schaffner, you know, for me, if I stay up past 10, 10 30, I know my sleep is compromised. It's not as deep. I have a harder time falling asleep. I have a harder time getting the deep sleep I need. So for me, 10, 10 30 bedtime is a non-negotiable. As soon as I know that, I have one of the keys to my own health and healing. But for me, non-negotiables are also what I eat, they're who I spend time with, they're how I spend time, they're how I spend time regenerating. These are what I start to add up to be my non-negotiables. I know this about myself. So those are all, there's so many things that can be non-negotiables. I like how you frame that too, because there are a lot of things that are um, positive and only add value to your life. Because I know when we're going through therapeutic protocols, a lot of it feels like work, but hey, relaxation, yes. spending time with friends, you know, um, I, I think that's really important not to lose sight of that, especially when you're in the, the healing process, because um, this can be um, exhausting on a lot of levels for people. So um, no, I think that's great. And you mentioned, you know, sleep a few times. Do you have any opinion or insights around some of the um, wearable devices, you know, some of my patients are starting to mention the 
aura ring or, um, you know, things like this. Have you had success with, um, these things at the, any, any feedback or, um, are they kind of new territory for you as well? Yeah, definitely new territory. We haven't had to lean there as often, mm -hmm. but I really do find that for me, like I said, it's a yes. And if somebody mm -hmm. comes in and they say it works for them, if it's something positive, mm -hmm. I'm just going to say, great, let's move on. If it's something that's working for them in a certain way and I'm concerned about it, mm -hmm. I still may say like that's scaffolding we need right now. Let's keep it there. Let's figure out why it works, mm -hmm. what's working about it. And let's return to that once we've built a little bit more resilience in your body. Mm -hmm. That's how I may feel about like a medication somebody's taking that they hate that they're taking, but that mm -hmm. when they try to go off of it, they have symptoms. I'm like, okay, let's build more resilience and mm -hmm. work back towards that. So with, if somebody comes in with something positive, like a wearable, that's helping them mm -hmm. with their sleep, I'm all for what do we need to do to feel our best and to support the structure that we put around ourselves to give ourselves some of the kind of, uh, cushioning or the cradling that we need for healing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and living. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, everyone gets motivated, motivated by different things. And yeah. I do see some people like to see, you know, the data and data. That, that, that can help them make a change. But I was just curious. I mean, we're always, of course, weighing the pros of um, weighing the pros and cons of also if there's any influence, um, with the electromagnetic, uh, fields. Um, but I, I, I know the, um, aura ring, you can turn that feature off, but I, that's the one that I've heard the most about. So I was just curious as I'm learning this, you know, new technology as well. Um, yes. so your second, um, tier is the, um, the deficiencies and uh, like getting people replete with nutrition again. Do you go more, um, and do you have like a comprehensive approach with including diet and supplementation or, um, are you a firm believer in really doing things in a food-based way? How do you, um, approach that tier? For, for us, the in my clinic, we are going to use food and lifestyle and supplementation. We're going to do it all. It really, for mm -hmm. the practitioners that I'm training, depends on their scope and their comfort level, what they would bring in. But deficiencies are in a number of things. So deficiencies could be in your B vitamins. It could be in your vitamin D. It could be in your essential fats. You know, these are all nutrients that we can not just bring in, but also make sure the body can utilize, right? But deficiencies can also be in your hydrochloric acid and your ability to digest your proteins. They could be in love in your life. Deficiencies could be in joy when you're going through a therapeutic protocol that's really draining and you, you are experiencing something that is uh, taking a lot from you. So when we're looking at deficiencies from a diet and lifestyle realm, we're looking at all deficiencies. We're looking at the entire holistic picture and where we can bring things to sufficiency to help the healing process. Again, in speaking about our non-linear approach, we might think about how a deficiency in something becomes a non-negotiable. So let's say somebody has a deficiency in a certain nutrient and they have a very difficult time utilizing that nutrient. Let's say they have an MTHFR, we know they have difficulties with their folate metabolism, then the way 
ways in which we're able to bring in those nutrients through supplementation that may be very targeted for that individual's needs become a non-negotiable for that individual. So these aren't linear. A deficiency can be a non-negotiable. Something that's non-negotiable could be addressing a deficiency. All of these things are starting to address the dysfunction. It's just a lens in terms of how we approach things in the case. And uh, going back to the, the client review meeting I had with some of my top certified students this week, there were three cases brought forward and all of them were looking to that deeper resolution with complex cases. However, there was still tier one work to be done. And when we overlook it, we may be in that habit trail, either personally or professionally, with trying to resolve something when there's another factor that's not being addressed that could help us. And again, that could be sleep. It could be um, consuming inflammatory foods. When we're continuing to do those things and just focusing on the dysfunction, we're not, we're going to be caught in this pattern of never really getting better. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's such a great point. And yeah, I mean, it's, um, again, how I have, um, you know, said throughout the conversation, it's especially when people get to this point of seeking out, um, practitioners like you and I, um, because they have been, you know, so complicated and sick. Sometimes we make things too complicated, right. And yes. we need to simplify and just, not forget the basics. And I, I, that's why I just really just value this conversation that we're sharing. Cause I want people to really, you know, think about everything we're saying in regards to their health. So Andrea, so the third one, um, is dismantling the dysfunction. Did I get that right? Um, okay, great. And so what do you find the common patterns and themes in this category for your, for your work? Yeah, it's it's interesting that when we're t- it depends what the dysfunction is that we're talking about. There's mm-hmm. often gut dysfunction. There's often um, immune dysfunction. Those in themselves can lead to detoxification dysfunction, to hormone dysfunction. I often find there's some kind of structural dysfunction, whether it's in the you know cellular structure mm-hmm. or it's in the actual body's structure. So it's really looking at all factors that might be involved in that particular case. I'm a huge fan of Dr. Bredesen's approach mm-hmm. with Alzheimer's and translating that forward. So Dr. Bredesen is an Alzheimer's research, you know, big deal in the functional medicine world because he's been able to identify the biochemical factors that are always present in patients with Alzheimer's. So of the 36, it doesn't mean that all 36 are present, but those are the 36 that he's found to be true. And in any one patient, if you take the number of Uh, holes or the number of mechanisms that are present for them, his theory is basically if you reverse half of them, you can reverse the disease. And when you look at his research and what each of those 36 holes are, 
when you back up what you do to address those holes, it is diet and lifestyle modification. It has to do with immune balance and blood sugar balance and relaxation and resiliency in the body. It's so many things just come back to what we might think of as the basics, but can be complex clinically in and of themselves because finding the way to get there could be a hard thing. If we think about a child with pandas getting to the place where they can bring down their dopamine response and address their stress levels, it's not easy. Mm. It's still work. So it's not like the basics, oh, address your stress and be more resilient is easy work. It's still work. However, it does a tremendous amount to address the downstream biochemical pathway. The way I'm starting to think about this is like three roots, many branches. And those roots have to do with infections, gut dysbiosis, and usually a genetic predisposition that is activated by the factors, the insults that we've had throughout our life, starting in utero. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's such a good point. And again, many listeners understand this to, um, you know, varying degrees, but I, you know, I had a mentor um, always say nothing's random, right? And, you know, when we look at illness, you know, absolutely the infection piece, uh, the epigenetics, as you've been talking about, the environmental factors. Um, and I love how you mentioned even in utero, because a lot of health begins, you know, with mom, right? Even before yes. conception. And so just looking at all of that. Um, and Dr. Bredesen, for people who haven't heard of him, he has a great book, The End of Alzheimer's, and a lot of wonderful research. And I was, I've always been impressed with how he ties in a lot of what we see um, on our front lines and bringing that into the paradigm of Alzheimer's disease. So I, I think he's doing a lot of wonderful work and, um, you know, prevention, of course, is number one. But, um, yes. you know, I, I think um, that's a great point, Andrea. Um, so what do you feel are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people are making in trying to resolve their own health challenges? Yeah, yeah. I think it goes back to what I'm going to call playing doctor. I, I think that it's okay to have a team approaching things that's looking through different lenses and realizing that one practitioner likely can't see everything or provide all of the uh, relief and recognizing that there, you may need to lean into different places for support at different levels or of different areas of focus. So one of the things I see is that patients are more self-motivated, which is awesome, but where they're learning is through the internet, through summits, through books that are making PAT protocols for what they should be doing. And patients are often assessing ourselves and bringing in nutrients, supplementation, dietary changes without understanding when, why, how long we should be doing those things or if we should be doing those things. And that concerns me. I feel like nutritionists are playing doctor, health coaches are playing doctor, mm. and patients are playing doctor. And the doctor actually isn't responsible for diet and lifestyle modification or habit change. Those are the scope of those other practitioners. And we have to remember to all stay in our scope. And as patients, we need to be empowered 
to own our everyday and to get the help that we need to figure out how to own our everyday, to be the drivers of our own healthcare, to have a voice about what we need, but not trying to fill it ourselves or go into the doctor like we know more than you do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great um, and such an important point. And again, I think it's awesome that there's so much information out there and people can yes. be more empowered and directive. But it's, you know, the things that maybe people don't understand or we all take for granted when we're in the space that, you know, um, as a as going through physician training, you know, we learn a lot of how not to harm someone, right? And yes. so that sometimes can be taken for granted or underestimated all the things, you know, that we're thinking when we're looking at blood work or recommendations or, you know, for in my, you know, world, you know, if someone still has amalgam fillings, I'm not going to give them, you know, chlorella and cilantro, exactly. you know, so little things like that, you know, um, that can be hugely impactful in people's health. So I, I think it's really important, um, you know, that you mentioned that and I appreciate that. And I, I really feel for people, you know, for us to continue the work that we're doing and really to shift the paradigm, we have to think about our patients having their team and all of their team. You know, I kind of see actually my role um, as um, a physician on on a patient's team is kind of the quarterback, you know, and helping with the planning and the, you know, kind of putting the pieces together. But I am very humbled and totally Uh, know that there are so many people that have such an impact other than myself on the patient's team, whether it's their health coach, their nutritionist, their lymph drainage practitioner, you know, their chiropractor, their IV therapist, you know, and that's what I I really want for, for everyone, you know, who has to go through a chronic illness. So, um, so no, so many great, you know, points, Andrea, and I know I could, I could keep you here for another hour. I have so many, you know, more questions, but I, I want to respect your time. Um, and I just know that you have a lot of other information to share in, um, in your communities. And then if you wanted to share with our audience, how can find, how can people find out more about how to train with you or work with you? I know that you don't see patients directly anymore, right? You work with through your um, practitioners or how can people, um, if they're interested kind of one-on-one, what, what's the opportunity there as yeah. well? Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, you can head to fxnutrition.com. And if you're a practitioner looking for training, go to the practitioner area. We do see clients. So um, I have a new te- nutrition team. I don't personally sit with people one-on-one any longer, but my nutrition team brings cases to me twice a week. So no labs go without me looking at them. Every case is brought in front of me as needed. So my team does see, uh, does see the patient population and I am involved on the back end with all of those cases. If you go to fxnutrition.com, you can identify who you are, go to the right place and you will be directed to learn more about what we do. Great. And people can work with your team um, online, right? They don't have yes, to establish care. Yeah, virtual. Yeah, yes. that's great. That's great. Um, well, no, I can um, definitely speak to um, you know, that your work is really, really impactful and really, uh, necessary and essential, um, to anyone, um, who's struggling with a health challenge. So I'm just so grateful for your time, Andrea, and I, um, can't wait to, um, hopefully see you again soon. And I just, um, again, thank you for this valuable information and everyone check out Andrea's website. We'll have that in the show notes and thanks. Thank you so much for listening.
Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. If you want to learn more about Andrea and her work, you can go to her website, Functional Nutrition, which is fxnutrition.com. And we'll have more information in the show notes about where you can find Andrea and learn from her. Um, If you've been enjoying these podcasts, um, please feel free to send us a message or leave us a review on iTunes. Um, And if you have any suggestions on who you'd like us to interview, you can send an email at info at drchristineschaffner.com. We are really excited when we're working on a summit coming up in the fall that I'll be sharing more as we approach. And if you want to join our email list, um, I do a lot of work with a um, with our Sophia Education brand, and the website is called sophiaeducate.com. We have some free video recordings, and we do often some live webinars. We have a membership program that we're doing, so come over and check us out there as well. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And I really appreciate your support.